Welcome to the Springforth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor Island. This recording was made on May 15th, 2022, the fifth Sunday of Easter. Good morning. Taking a look at the announcements here, things taking place this week and prayer concerns that we have. Our prayers go out to Brenda Davies and family on the passing of her father. Don McCulloughan. And we also continue to keep Deb Ferguson in our prayers. Deb is making a steady recovery from a, a stroke that she had earlier. But she's, she's getting therapy and speech therapy, occupational therapy. And her family is very encouraged at the progress that she is making. Church council will meet today after worship. Next week we will acknowledge our graduates, high school graduates from the surrounding area, people who are connected with our church. And then Vacation Bible School. Are there registration forms in the back, Debbie, for that? Okay. So if you're, if anyone's interested in a registration form for VBS, Debbie Fisher has those. Anything that you would like to highlight, Mary or Sherry or anyone else? Okay. Well, let us. Uh, Get right down to the business of worship.
God be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, whom truly to know is everlasting life, grant us so perfectly to know your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the way, the truth, and the life, that we may steadfastly follow in his steps in the way that leads to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Let us join together in our opening hymn, number 64. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. 
Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps, fire, hail, snow and fog, tempestuous wind doing his will. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the world. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted, his splendor is over earth and heaven. Wait, touch this. Okay. <laughs> the first lesson this morning is from Acts 11, 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord. For nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean you must not call profane. This happened three times, then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and to not make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it had been upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, 
John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. The second lesson is from Revelation 21, 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated at the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write these, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of water of life. Please rise for the gospel. The gospel comes to us from John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. Some of you who attended the Monday Thursday service will remember this passage because it was the closing verses after Jesus had washed the feet of the disciples. A reading from the Gospel of John. When he had gone out, Jesus says, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and what I say the Jews, I now say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. But I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Word. Please be seated. Let us pray. We give you thanks and praise, loving God, for keeping watch over us, for working with us, for steadying our hearts and minds that we can confront difficult situations, that we can enter into tricky spaces and leave a blessing. You have been guiding us, and the times when we are mindful of that, we give you thanks. The other times when we do not even know, it is only in moments of pause and reflection that we realize just how much you have contributed to our daily walk. So today we ask that you would help us to continue on this path, that you would provide us, as you always do, the nourishment that we need to be your witnesses in the world. Whatever it is that burdens us, wherever you find us today, may hopefully the contents of this worship service 
our own meditations and our hearts would bring us back to the promise that you walk with us and we should have no fear of anything. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be an offering to you. May you steady us, bless us, and lead us gently but boldly forward that we might serve others in your name. Amen. Focusing on the passage from Acts today. From what we know of Peter in the Gospels, he was a prominent figure among Christ's disciples. One of the sort of inner circle along with the brothers, the sons of Zebedee, James and John. We have heard account after account of Peter who is being quick to speak on matters which he had little information and little preparation to do so. We find him trying to make sense out of things that were far beyond what he had ever experienced before. He was also quick to stand toe-to-toe with Jesus when Jesus would say things to Peter that Peter didn't want to hear, that he would be crucified, that he would be given up, that on the third day he would raise, and Peter stood up and says, Lord, God forbid it, these things will not happen to you. And Jesus, of course, told him, get behind me, Satan, because you were thinking like a human and not in the kingdom of God. So Peter's rash act, and he never missed an opportunity to test his faith in some spectacular way when Jesus was approaching the fishing boat that he was in. And he says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out and walk on the water. Fine, you know, come and walk. And Peter was walking with great confidence until he saw the waves that the wind was whipping up around him. And he took his eyes off Jesus just long enough to begin to sink. And he cried out, Lord, Lord, save me. This is our Peter. This is a guy who's like, I don't want to, I'm not going to ask for permission. I'll rather beg for forgiveness. Let me try it. Let me get in there and get myself dirty. And when the transfiguration of Jesus took place. Peter was up there with James and John, and Peter was like, I've got the exact idea. I know how we're going to handle this, right? First time he'd ever seen Moses and Elijah conversing with Jesus, but Peter's like, I can make sense of this. We're going to build three shrines up here. That's what we're going to do. Then the cloud comes in and says, be quiet. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So Peter had a boldness about his person that was inspirational. We have to realize that there's something about that guy that we aspire towards. We aspire to be so reckless in our faith that we too can risk anything and everything just because our desire to be so close to God and tethered to God's promise is more important above all else. Yet what we find is that when he becomes an apostle and he still has room for his faith to grow, that was Jesus' hope for his for his disciples who would become apostles, is that when he departed and when the Holy Spirit came and settled upon them, that they wouldn't be in the frame of mind where they figured they knew it all. They would still have room to grow in the faith, still be open to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and anything that the Spirit wanted to demonstrate them. The passage that we have that Carol read for us this morning really zeroes in and focuses how Peter's theology And his understanding of the community of God is expanding. And of course, naturally, there's a lesson in that for us. In this passage from Acts, we find Peter is under attack from fellow believers. 
The children of Israel who have come to accept Jesus as their Messiah, they are criticizing Peter because he's recently welcomed Gentiles into the community of faith. And they thought that they had an understanding of who it was who was going to comprise this new community that Jesus had formed, and they want Peter to explain himself. Now, anyone who spent any degree of time in a church, and if you are active and involved in a church, you're going to, depending on the church leadership, you're going to be called to account at some point why you do, why you did what you did. And it might be so much something as, as innocuous as moving the font. No, I want to tell you a story. I love to tell stories. And I can tell this one because it's, it's, it's old and most of the players who were involved in it have gone to the great beyond. But when Laura was early in her, her call, the first thing, that, we're talking about like the first year, so early. First thing she did was she took the baptismal font and she moved it more, more prominent in the sanctuary because she wanted and I could do this too, but I, I don't because I'm not nearly as liturgical as Laura is. I'm just like, yeah, we're all just lucky to be here. But <laughs> she moved the font central. So when people would come up for communion, they could touch the baptismal waters, remember their baptism, and then receive communion. It's a great liturgical and sacred gesture, except for those people who felt it was too Catholic. Mm. It's amazing what people get weird about. Isn't it? And especially in the church. You don't have to nod your head, because I know your weirdness. But there are people who felt so passionately that that font should not be there, and it shouldn't be representing that thing, which represents our baptism, right? You know, the very call to covenant as to why we enter into the church. It was too great a burden for them to bear, and they left, right? Isn't that the notorious thing that every church does? It's like, when you become dissatisfied with your fellowship, you leave, <laughs> right? Like, as if that's going to solve anything, because you take your attitudes, your dispositions with you, and you don't leave room for the conversation of whatever conversation could have had. I will tell you, and I am pleased to tell you, that that font is still there, and people come forward, and they are enthusiastic about the gesture of being able to remember their baptism on their way to remembering their salvation. And you know what? If we want to do it here, we're having council meeting later on today. You put it on new, new items. And if you see the font, show up there. Don't freak. Your leaders have approved it in advance. <laughs> so when Peter was a disciple, he had several examples of Jesus who was welcoming Gentiles. We have Jesus welcoming the centurion's son, reference Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. We have the woman at the well. Reference John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. And we have the Syrophoenician woman, the one that begged for some of the crumbs from the table. And Jesus had insulted her, but her faith was great. And that is the reference in Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28, to name a few. So Peter does not come to the understanding of Gentiles being welcomed into the kingdom. He's not coming to this blindly. He saw examples of Jesus. But then again, sometimes when we see examples of things, it doesn't impress it upon ourselves until we have to make the decision for ourselves. We can see somebody else do something and go, okay, that's, that's their way of doing it. But then when we're in the position to make that decision for ourselves, then it starts to have greater resonance with us. So even though Jesus gave the example of welcoming Gentiles in the realm of God, the lesson did not fully come home to Peter until we have this incident that's spoken about in Acts. 
This was a heavy political burden for Peter. We have to understand that. He's a respected member and leader in this new church, but he has to make and defend his reasons for why he went and spent that time with the Gentiles and proclaimed the gospel to them and allowed them to partake of this faith. He understands that if he were in a different position, he would be asking the very same questions of anyone else who he felt was making an infraction or making an exception or bending the rules of this, this new faith. So Peter does owe the members an explanation. Community is growing, and it's largely been growing from converts within the community of Judaism, those who were coming to believe that Jesus was the Messiah and that this was a new direction for their faith, an expansion of the covenantal understanding. But it was still members of the house of Abraham. Outsiders need not apply because it's just mostly uh, an internal uh, uh, political shift and some new information has come to light, but it's, it doesn't mean that everyone's welcome to play. It was still an insider's club. So this move of Peter welcoming Gentiles changes the entire framework of the community. We have to appreciate that. The Gentiles are very different in culture and in faith. That's if they had any faith practices to speak of. Some of them didn't really come from, they were coming out of paganism and didn't particularly have any spiritual framework. Nothing compared to those who were moving from Judaism into the, the new expression of Christianity. So it was going to take a radical departure for people to understand of the cultures, the languages, and traditions that were all going to come under the mantle of Jesus Christ. There were new people who were coming to your house for dinner. And maybe some of them didn't have the same uh, dietary customs that you have. How are you going to make a meal so everyone there feels satisfied, feels welcome, and is fed? So Peter is taking this belief that we hold in confidence that those with a similar background, and he's giving it to virtual strangers who knew nothing of the rich culture that Jesus had established. Peter was in conversation with those who came out of Judaism, accepted Jesus as the Messiah, and were followers of the way. That was the working title of Christianity in the first century, followers of the way, the way of Jesus Christ. So Peter, explain yourself. What are you doing? So Luke tells us that Peter step-by-step step walks the members through this vision that he had in which brings him to his conclusion. He has a vision that there was a sheet that was coming down from heaven and it was filled with every manner of creature, birds of the air, reptiles, beasts of the field, and they were all sort of leaping around on this sheet and it was accompanied by a voice that says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter, having been very devout in his Levitical law, says, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is unclean, right? Because there are Levitical dietary laws of foods that's acceptable and food that is not acceptable, and Peter has kept that from his youth. So now he sees this image of forbidden animals, and he says, I can't break this covenant that I have kept. It's how I've been raised. It's what I understand. The voice returns to Peter and says, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. The vision happened three times. Now, meanwhile, as Peter is having this vision, there's a vision, ceased, men from Caesarea arrive asking for Peter, and the men recounted having vision of their own. And in their vision, an angel sent the men down to Joppa to seek a man called Simon, 
who was called Peter, and he will bring a message of joy to their entire household. So you have two simultaneous visions. Basically, God is preparing Peter for visitors who will come from a neighboring area. And you have these individuals who are Gentiles who are, being, who are responsive to an angelic visitor who says, you need to go and seek a man who will usher you into a new existence and a new way of life. So you have the individuals from Caesarea who trust their vision. You have Peter who's wrapping his head around his vision. And do you realize this would not have worked if either party said, I'm seeing things. Spots, sunspots, whatever it is. Too much wine from the night before. Some, some way to dismiss what was taking place. If either party had dismissed God's tugging on them, this connection would not have happened. Of course, Peter wouldn't have had to explain himself, but the church would not have grown in the way that God intended it to grow. So the Spirit told Peter to go with the men and make, and this is very important, this is very important, Go with the men and make no distinction between them and us. Because Peter has his entourage. The men from Caesarea have their entourage. Basically what we have are those who used to walk in the ways of Judaism and you have those who, who knows what their spiritual framework was. It wasn't Judaism. So naturally there would be some question as to these two groups sort of looking at each other and saying, we shouldn't even be here. We shouldn't even be hanging out with each other. We, we don't have the same interests. We don't have the same cultural background. We're virtual strangers to one another. And furthermore, we might not even like one another, right? Because we all know that religion can draw some pretty polarizing lines. But Peter was told, make no distinction between them and us. Go in peace. Go and do this thing. I'm about ready to show you my power and my might. So that's very important for us to note. In fact, to remember that as we walk in the faith, we too are called to make no distinction between another and ourselves. When Peter arrived and began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it did the believers. And on the day of Pentecost. Now, this text is happening after the day of Pentecost, and I know we haven't hit the day of Pentecost, but we all know the story. That there was a festival that was going on, and people from all the surrounding regions were gathered. And the Holy Spirit came with a sound of rushing wind and divided tongues of fire and landed upon each one of the disciples and they began to speak in a different tongue. And all the people from the surrounding area heard these Galileans speaking in languages that they understood. And they said, how is it that these men who were Galileans can speak my language? And who was it was who clarified what was taking place? It was Peter. Peter came to defense of those prophesying and extolling disciples who were being misunderstood as some in the crowd as having too much wine in them. That's right in the scriptures. You, you, you hear that in a few weeks. And Peter says, no, what you are seeing is the work of the Holy Spirit. So now he is back defending why he went to these Gentiles, and he's saying, these men and women received the Holy Spirit when I began to speak in the same way that the Holy Spirit fell upon us as believers in the day of Pentecost. At that moment, Peter remembered how John reminded believers that in the coming days, they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the John that he's talking about is John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but one who is coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to unloosen, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Day of Pentecost, fire. 
Holy Spirit coming in and changing our thought patterns, changing our direction, changing our intentions for the greater good. And that is what happened when Peter began to speak and to preach amongst Gentiles, whom, if it were up to him, he wouldn't even stop in their town. So Peter understands at that moment that if God gave the same gift to the Gentiles that was given to the apostles, then who was he to hinder God's work? I mean, Peter's saying it's, it's already happening. It's, it's happening. The Holy Spirit is falling upon these individuals. They're prophesying. They're, they're sort of you know, caught in the rapture of the experience of the Holy Spirit. He's like, who? I can't stand in the way of this, right? God has already made it happen. What God is asking me to do is get on board, recognize the blessing, and get behind it. At this explanation that Peter gives to his critical crowd of believers, they fall silent at Peter's account. They give it some thought, and then they praise God for giving the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. That's how the passage that Carol read this morning ends. Now, this story is not just merely about the growing church and its extravagant welcome as part of the fabric of Christ's church. This unmistakable welcome of any and all who respond to the promise of eternal life in Christ and who wish to partake of his covenant of love. Now, we still understand and accept God as welcoming to all. This is a tenet of faith that we all believe and we admire. This is one of the things that we truly enjoy about our faith in God is that God's all welcoming to everyone. We believe that about God. <laughs> Here's the caveat. But the practice of that aspect of our faith is what we struggle with. And we know God loves everybody. That's the inside joke. Sherry and I had a little joke yesterday. Yes, we know about that. So we know God loves everybody. But doggone it, we still struggle with that. Even as witnesses, even as witnesses of God, we still struggle with the, I don't know about this loving of everybody. Sometimes people are just really kind of cranky and funky and undesirable and hard to love. But yet we hold on to that promise because we realize that, that God is still trying to, as Peter, bring us into a new understanding, new capacity of, our, of what we are capable of. Now, I wish I could have seen Peter's recitation on a few fronts, and I think about Peter. I would have enjoyed seeing how he conveyed this reality to his suspicious members of his faith community, right? I mean, when's the last time we've ever had to truly defend something uh, that we felt passionate about so much to people, that, to people whom we love, right? Not just strangers on the street as, as you pick up something at the convenience store. That's... that's really immaterial. I'm talking about people that you have a long-standing relationship, but you feel passionately about something, and you really want to make a case, you really want to make an argument. How do you do it? Does, 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 Peter, does, Peter, speak in, does Peter speak in hush, reassuring voice, making no sudden gestures because he wants to sort of lovingly bring people into this understanding? Or was Peter, as I understand him to be, filled with bold gestures and strong voice and lots of waving hands about and saying, seriously, this vision came to me and said, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And I'm like, no, not today. I just ate. And Peter's like, no, you, you got to do this, Peter, because guys are on the way and I, I need you to 
step it up. Because they're coming around the corner right now. So you need to get on board. The reason why it's important to me to, to at least imagine how Peter might have sold it is because this is information that we could use. Because someday, we're going to be called to take a stand for why we do what we do in God's name. See, what, what, what we've lost collectively in the modern church is the sense of apologetics or the defense of our faith. We, we come assuming everyone believes as we do. We come assuming that they won't bend the rules or break them off or give a blanket pardon to everybody. We assume that most people will carry themselves uh, spiritually like we do, which is insipidly. We're passionate enough to get to church, but that's about where it ends. We're not going to be standing on the street and praying with someone because, you know, somebody might see. Even grace, table grace, has become sort of like one of those things after the fact. Half your plate's consumed. It's like, maybe we should give thanks. Oh. Yeah, okay. But make it quick. So it's important for me to figure out how Peter conveyed this because I feel like we're still on task here. We're still on the clock. We, as God's witnesses, are still called to make the case for the all-consuming, all-welcoming love of God. And if the, only, if the only argument that we can make is our own stinginess, that's not a good enough argument. I wouldn't come to church on the basis of that either. But if someone could demonstrate to me like Peter did, on why these individuals are welcome in this place, why these individuals are part of God's plan, and get me to fall silent and then give thanks that God has also has love for those that I don't have love for or that I don't yet understand or that I have not yet come to appreciate, that's all the much more magnificent for this God who loves us. Right? So when God lands love and favor and blessing upon someone that we're still sort of a little, I don't know, I don't know. When you find out that, that this, is, this is the God we serve, <laughs> I start to feel really, really comfortable in my sins, mistakes, and confusions. Because God's like, oh yeah, I got room for even you as well. The fact of the matter is this. If we believe that God is still moving among the people, still bringing about opportunities for us to witness the expansion of the community, then we are in the same place as Peter. The question that was put to him is the same question that's put to us and any Christian who will allow their faith to be a cause, an individual or a group, to bring these individuals into a community. We have not gained mastery of this question, nor have we overcome our deep desire to filter the gospel from what we would consider cultural pollutants. It's a term I came up with myself, cultural pollutants. We figure, gosh, they might come in here and sully our great traditions. <laughs> what great traditions? You know, th this is the delusion we tell ourselves. We tell ourselves that there are sacred cows which, which must be observed, and then we expect everyone to toe that line. And then you start quizzing people and go, what are these sacred cows? And they go, I don't know, just don't ask. <laughs> but I know they're here. You know, Take away the pews and you'll find out what the sacred cows are. <laughs> Move your font, you'll find out what the sacred cows are. Unload some of these pianos, which we've been trying to do, and you'll find out where your sacred cows are. 
So that is why I would like to know how Peter did it, how he faced a disapproving crowd and convinced them that God did a new thing and get on board. I want to know because that's our job. It's our job to read the daily signs of God lifting up the dispossessed before us and asking us to welcome them as partners in the faith. There's not a church that I can think of who wouldn't stand to gain a few more people. Whether it be two dozen or 200, there's not a church out there. And if the people that God is calling us to gain are people that we've been like, the jury is still out on those people, then we need to think again. So it may take God more than three times, like Peter, to get our attention, but someday we're going to have to contend with the statement, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. Amen. We join together in our responsive hymn, number 296. Let us pray. As you engage us this morning, loving God, as you remind us through the narratives that come from Scripture, 
that this, this outpouring of your spirit is not something that happened. It's something that happens. And that even this very moment, while we are here in worship, there is somebody who is having a profound change of heart. And it's against their better judgment. It's against their will. It's against everything that they think and feel. But their heart is changing. And their grip on some long-held truth is melting. They're being open to new possibilities, new conversations, new dialogues, which will open them to new individuals and new events. It is your desire to land us in places where our faith is allowed to grow where as we expand in our faith, we expand in the expression of our faith. Many of us did not grow up in this church. So it was through your leading that we found this fellowship, that we felt welcomed, and that we decided to remain. It's not because we were baptized here many years ago. It's not because our ancestors were pillars of the faith. And so therefore, we continue on in their name. Because some series of events and conversations that we had, both in the community and in and around this space, that have kept us saying, I feel the spirit here. I feel as if God is accessible in this place. And it was through the either latent or manifest welcome of those who were already here, that we felt the courage to become and remain in this fellowship. So it's not that Peter's narrative comes to us out of the blue. We, we have tangible experience of what it's like to have been an outsider at some point, to be new in this fellowship, to not know our way to always constantly be asking someone, what's that person's name again? And to feel like, are we ever going to gain mastery of this place? But it's through the loving welcome of others who do not meet you at the door and ask what your assets are, what your net worth is, where you live, or what you bring to the fold, but to welcome the doors and say, good morning and to allow you to sit wherever you want, because we have no sacred pews here. We have open pews, lots of them, but no sacred pews, no name tags on any pews. So I thank you for giving us practical lessons for us to understand what Peter was up against and how you changed his direction in his heart and how you gave him the passion to be able to speak to other believers who weren't quite on board about this community and what it meant and what it would mean for others. I believe that it is important for every Christian to remember that we were not the A-list. We were not the first ones that God sent and rescued from Pharaoh. We were grafted in. Through the mercies of Christ, we were drawn into this covenant. We were encouraged to stay and we were also encouraged to live in accordance with that promise that has a heart for all. If we cannot embrace that message, 
then we miss the point of Jesus' ministry. And I don't believe that we are here to miss his point. We are here to continue to push it forward. We ask today that you would lay your blessing on those who are sick, suffering, or in recovery. We lift up to you, Deb Ferguson. We ask that you would continue to be with her care providers, strengthen her family as she makes her way through therapy with an expected discharge date later on this month. We ask that she would just make strides, trusting in you that her capacities and abilities will, will return in time, that she'll form the new neural networks to remaster speech patterns and movement. We thank you for her life. I also ask on behalf of my mother that you thank her for leading her through her own recovery process. Her reports continue to look good and her care providers are encouraged with the progress that she has made in such a short time. For those who are in mourning, for the Davies family, the McCulkin family, we ask that you would continue to be with them during this season of loss. Guide them gently through the passing of dawn and allow them to cleave to your promises as demonstrated not only through the scriptures but through loving friends and strangers alike. All we can do is trust in your, your leadership and that you take us to the places where we need to be. For the prayers that we set before you today, we ask that you would hear them and give us the courage and the fortitude to respond to your invitation to, to love and serve. Hear our prayers. We thank you for receiving these prayers, loving God, and ask that you would collect them into your care and steady us because we have no idea what each week will dish up to us. We just want to be ready. Remember us as we pray as one. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
receive these gifts, loving God. So signs, tangible evidence of our desire to continue to work with your houses of faith, that the ministry that we do in these spaces will provide some tangible evidence of your being with us, loving us. Bless these gifts and what these resources can bring now and into the future. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's join together in our covenant. Front cover of the hymnal. We covenant with the Lord and with one another, and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Most merciful God, you give us the, the capacity to bear a great many things in life and to be a support and encouragement
invite the congregation to come forward as you so We do give you thanks, loving God, for the courage that you give us, a courage which speaks nothing of a type of bravery or bravado, but it is the courage to feel, a courage to be vulnerable, a courage to say, I'm sorry. These are the things that you make possible through your generous and compassionate love, and I do hope that we would take you up on that invitation to dabble in that space as often as possible. Amen. We join together in our closing hymn, number 543.
God's love is upon you, strengthening you, giving the boldness to go out and to maximize the gifts that each and every one of you have been blessed with. The love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, keep you and guide you now until we meet again.